truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for joining us here on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. We are live and on demand. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. You're welcome to let us know what you think as well via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is one way to access that. Emailing the program there. You can also like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Coming up here at the bottom of the hour today, our weekly edition of fake news or not. Next hour, we're going to have a truth bomb that includes an interview. Uh, Josh Hammer is a former clerk for a conservative federal judge who just took over. I think he's the new managing editor over at the Daily Wire. Editor-at-large. Editor-at-large, thank you. Uh, And he's going to walk us through the process of what happens if and when Trump issues an emergency declaration in a couple of weeks uh, in order to fund his wall. And then what happens if it ends up in the courts? What would defying a federal judge look like, et cetera? We'll get into that with Josh coming up on the next hour of the show. Uh, And then Pop Culture Tuesday, a show you may want to stay away from. Uh, And then a movie that I think uh, you should consider uh, embracing. We'll talk about that as we look at the intersection between culture and conservatism. And one of the great things we get to do on this show, other than talk about our values, is promote them as well. And we love to partner with causes uh, that are like-minded, like Back to Jerusalem. It's an organization that represents persecuted Christians in what are called closed countries, meaning countries that are not hospitable to the gospel. Why? Because the gospel provides the ultimate hope in any civilization. And these are tyrannical regimes. You've heard of them. Uh, China, Iran, uh, places like that, uh, North Korea, that want to keep their people oppressed. They don't want to provide them that hope. And the, the goal that Back to Jerusalem has is to reach every closed country between Jerusalem and China with the word of God. And one way they have figured out how to do that is by creating this Bible that's easier to say, uh, slip past the goalie, if you will. It, it's it's literally like the size of a pill. Now, it's the actual Bible. It's everything from Genesis to Revelation, but this is one way to get it past the tyrannical gatekeepers in each of these countries. And what they'd like to do is, is get 15, is get about 10,000 of these into these countries. It cost them about $15 per Bible to get them past the gatekeepers in places like China, North Korea, and Iran. And that's where they need our help. If you want to give them a hand, it's basically the cost of you and a loved one or a friend going out to a fast food joint to here uh, today for lunch, and you can use it for the Word of God instead by going to blazehelp.org. That's blazehelp.org. Or you can give them a call at 844-305-0566. That's 844-305-0566. And now here's Aaron with a rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by our new socialist hero, Kamala. It's not Kamala. Uh, Kamala. It's not Kamala. Kamala. Not Kamala. It's Kamala. Kamala Harris, at least for 24 hours, took over the mantle of most obsessed figure by conservative media, 
from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She was in Iowa last night, and I have to admit, she's kind of likable, except she's a dyed-in-the-wool progressive and says stuff like this. To follow up on that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, to reiterate, you support uh, the Medicare for All bill, I think initially co-sponsored by Senator Bernie Sanders. You're also a co-sponsor on it. I believe it will totally eliminate private insurance. Um, So for people out there who like their insurance, they don't get to keep it? Well, listen, the idea is that everyone gets access to medical care. And you don't have to go through the process of going through an insurance company, having them give you approval, going through the paperwork, all of the delay that may require. Who of us has, has not had that situation where you've got to wait for approval and the doctor says, well, I don't know if your, your insurance company is going to cover this? Let's eliminate all of that. Let's move on. Anywho, former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz announced his independent bid for the White House the other day. I am seriously considering running for president as a centrist independent. And I wanted to clarify the word independent, which I view uh, merely as a designation on the ballot. Don't help elect Trump, you egotistical billionaire That seems to be going well. Life also seems to be going well for Fluff Jake, who is now going to be joining CBS as a contributor. Sarah Huckabee Sanders made her contribution to owning the libs yesterday. Can you guarantee that the president won't pardon Roger Stone? Uh, Again, I'm not going to talk about hypotheticals that are just ridiculous of things I haven't talked about. Never thought I would be uh, shutting down one reporter to go to Joe McCosta, but here we are. Since I know so little about this, I mean, ask you a couple of questions to see if I can educate myself. Well, at least we're in agreement on something. <laughs> Two stories out of Texas. First, five Houston police officers were wounded in a shooting yesterday while serving a search warrant for narcotics. Suspects opened fire as soon as officers breached the door at a residence in southeast Houston. Second, an Air Force veteran by the name of Joseph Walker was laid to rest yesterday. He had no known family, so after a campaign on social media led by Ted Cruz and Jake Tapper, thousands showed up to pay their respects. And finally, that PETA commercial wasn't so bad after all. That, my friends, is a shirtless Bernie Sanders partying on his honeymoon in Russia. Feast your eyes. And that's what happened while we were away. Not just Russia, but the Soviet Union, folks. Still the Soviet Union back then. That's where he spent his honeymoon. By the way, the Sarah Sanders clip where you see her sparring at the end there, that reporter is Fox News' White House reporter. Trouble in paradise? That's, which only makes what I'm about to do more important. So yesterday we did a political science class on the air. We're going to do another one right now. We're going to role play. Um, Fifty Shades of Dace. All right. So we're going to role play here. (laughs) That Bernie Sanders video wasn't so bad after all. (laughs) So we're going to role play here, but in a way that is of the wholesome variety. Okay, I am the political director. If I were the political director for Trump 2020, and I want him to win, okay? And as it stands right now, things could change. I mean, we are debating 
and debasing in ways that even a few years ago, if I had said, here's what we're going to be talking about in 2019, you'd have that exact same look on your face, right? So I have no idea what the world is going to, what the circumstances of life will be in six months, let alone 16 months from now. But as things stand today, what is today, January 29th? Correct. 2019. It doesn't do, just as I said last week, the reason I'm mad about what happened with the shutdown in the way that Trump caved at the end is, and I'll talk about this with Daniel Horowitz tomorrow when he joins us, I believe there's a pos- there is a distinct possibility we just lost the immigration issue for the foreseeable future, and I'm not happy about it. I, that doesn't do me any good. I, I, it doesn't do my worldview, why I do what I do. I, it, doesn't, I, it doesn't serve me on any level, any of my interests, my moral interests, my vested interests, none of them. As things stand today, you know, unless there's some things that tra- change in the next, uh, you know, uh, 20 months, or um, the audible voice of God comes to me, it does. I would say the same thing. None of my interest as a father, as an American, certainly as a believer, which comes before any of those things, none of my interests are served by the woman in that montage becoming the next president of the United States. None of them are. What, what she articulated last night, and it's Kamala? Kamala. Who knows? Okay. But it's Kamala I, Harris. It, seriously, I think it's Kamala. Yeah. All right. What Kamala Harris articulated last night is an honest syncretism of Swedish Sovietism. That, that's, you know, that, that's um, instead of a hammer and a sickle and a clenched fist, it's for your own good with pastries. I mean, I, I, that's really what she articulated last night. In you know ten minutes from where I'm at right now, what she articulated last night here in hardy Midwestern Iowa is Swedish style Sovietism. Sovietism. This is a woman that oldest trick in the book basically slept, slept her way to at least get her to the on the doorstep of the top. Willie Brown admitted that yesterday. He was uh, she was his mistress. That's the oldest trick in the book. Uh, she was essentially the. Um, the the executioner see what I did there for Planned Parenthood out there in California when the when the when David Delayden and those videos came out she was the she wasn't she was the prosecutor that was pursuing that at the time all right this is this is everything you don't like about Eric Holder and none of the things you did and I don't know what those even would be <laughs> right this is Eric Holder in a pantsuit that's what it is so on no level are my interests served. That I can contemplate by her being elected president of the United States. What I'm about to share with you is in the interest of that not happening. Okay, I want to make that very clear. But if we don't look at some things really honestly right now, it's going to be too late 20 months from now. I want to start with a map. So this is what this is the presentation. If I were in the White House. The president called me into the Oval Office, and it's just, it's the inner circle. And we're going to have a blunt conversation and permission to speak freely. I'm like the judge. I'm like the friend of the judge in in Miracle on 34th Street. I'm the guy with the stogie that comes in to, you know, tell him, hey, you don't want to be the judge in an election year that says there's no Santa Claus, right? I'm, I'm playing that role now. I want him to win. This is what I would be telling him. I want you to see this map. 
This is the friendliest map that's realistic that I could come up with. That gives the that gives the president the most objective benefit of the doubt. And as you can see, well, Steve, Arizona's not a swing state. They just won the Senate election there. And Hillary only lost the state by three and a half points. That's a swing state. Steve, North Carolina's not a swing state. Obama won it twice. That's a swing state. Okay. I'm going to even give Virginia, where the demographics have trended way away from the Republicans in the last few elections, I will even grant that as a swing state. Same with Colorado. I'll grant that as a swing state. Nevada. Republicans are getting massacred. I will grant that as a swing state. This is the this is the fairest objective analysis I could give, meaning it's objective with the most benefit of the doubt built in. And as you can see, it doesn't matter the name. It it doesn't matter the name. To Wisconsin, where Scott Walker just lost to a guy that looks like, you know, um, the guy, the guy that's not that looks like your your stereotypical nerdy socialist professor that no one wants to take his class. Scott Walker just lost to that guy. Okay, so I mean, I I can't be any more fair than this. Stipulated, right? Yep. All right. How, what's the number the Democrat has right there? Sixty nine to go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's counting Pennsylvania that Trump did win, but the Republicans only won it once since 1988. That's counting Virginia, which has had a massive flip from Republican to Democrat in the last five years. That's counting Nevada, where they've registered thousands of new Hispanic voters in response to Trump and lost this, and the Republicans have kind of lost that state. That's counting, I mean, I, I'm, I'm giving the best benefit of the doubt here. Michigan, where Republicans just got annihilated. Trump won that state too. And they just got annihilated in the last election. The fairest map I can give him objectively, with the most benefit of the doubt, whoever the Democrats nominate starts with 200 electoral college votes. Doesn't matter who they nominate. The dry bones of Karl Marx, Kamala, Camilla, whatever her name is, Harris, Eric Holder, Joe Biden, pick a name. So this is the map we start with. So you're going to have to, Mr. President, you have to build a coalition out of these states that are in the gray. This is where your win is going to come from. And what you're going to have to figure out is how do I build a message? You cannot concoct a message that will allow you to win all those states. You're not popular enough. Um, So you have to consider there are two possible strategies for you. And, and how does Howard Schultz play into this if he were to actually be on the ballot, which I don't think he will be. Uh, but if he were to actually be on the ballot in November of 2020, we're going to discuss him separately today on the Blaze Roundtable. We will talk about him separately. Because all the conventional wisdom you're watching about him right now, including the guy that yelled at him in that clip, which is funny, by the way, and a terrible optic, which is one of the reasons why I don't think he'll be on the ballot in 2020. But if he were, all the conventional wisdom you're hearing that he hurts Democrats is all wrong. I'll explain why on the round table. Then you guys can tell me whether you agree or disagree, but I, I don't, I think it's worse news for Trump if he's on the ballot and I'll explain why on the round table today, but we're going to set him aside for now as if there's not another candidate. It's just these two for the most part. Um, you have two options as we sit here today, Mr. President, and you have to choose one of them and you have to make this choice soon. The first choice is, do you want a national mandate? Do you want to be a national president? Okay. Um, 
that will require one strategy. Another strategy is, and then you have to ask yourself, what's the point of being that kind of president in my second term? What, what is it that I think that kind of mandate would help me to accomplish that I didn't get done the first time? And then there is the strategy of, do you just need to get to 270? And you can't be a little pregnant here. You can't straddle the fence. You can't be 50-50, one strategy over there, there's 60-40. You're all in on one of these two strategies. Now, they have some common denominators. Well, really, one common denominator. Right now, your negatives, your unfavorables are approaching territory where it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter how far left the Democratic candidate is. And I know almost no one else in conservative media that doesn't work here or two other three places will say this to you in the audience. But if you think I'm nuts, you know, they're never going to vote for You remember when we were told, Todd, well, they're, they're never going to vote for a philandering draft dodger for president. Remember that? I do. Yeah, you know the video we just shot, showed you of the grainy video of Bernie Sanders partying up at the Soviet Union. Man, we've got we've got we've got pictures of Bill Clinton visiting the Soviet Union while dodging the draft. Did he get elected president? Yeah, yeah, he did. Boy, I'll tell you, we'll never. The American people will never vote for a guy who was discipled and mentored by a heretical uh, black liberation theology, race baiting pastor who screamed "Death to America" on video. That'll never happen. And his middle name's Hussein. Come on, guys, that's never gonna happen. Did Barack Obama win? It happened. That happened. If you are relying primarily on the Democrats nominating a candidate so far out of the mainstream that Trump can win as is you have, you are, you have, you have ignored uh, George Santayana's creed. Those who have not learned from history are doomed to repeat it. This has already been disproven twice. Well, Steve, you said before Christmas that, um, you already knew the outcome of the of the next election. That if if the if the Democrats nominated somebody likable like Joe Biden, they would probably win. If they nominated somebody like uh, Kamala Harris, then Trump would troll them and uh, and end up beating them. What's changed? There has been a fundamental change. I never anticipated. I thought largely after this last election we'd have gridlock. That. There would be no really real attempt to govern. Both sides would grandstand. The Democrats would have all their hearings and their impeachments. Trump would troll them all on Twitter. Uh, and, and it would just be a two-year troll-a-thon, basically. What I never anticipated when I gave you that analysis before Christmas is that a week after I gave you that analysis, Trump literally, on a dare, would shut the government down on his number one signature issue and vow. Have it become the longest shut down of all time, yield him nothing in return once it was resolved and make him look like a weak leader in the process. I did not anticipate that would happen. That he would violate the, this is why I kept warning during the shutdown, don't be the next read my lips president. Just as I never anticipated after he won, after he won, you know, the victory in Iraq, George H.W. Bush would then turn around and while the economy is slowing down, go ahead along with the Democrats and sign into law the biggest tax increase of all time at the time and violate his number one campaign vow. There's a certain level of, of, of asininity I, I can't game plan. Who would do that? Does that make any sense? Does either one of the things I just said make any sense to you? That either of these two men did this? No. No. Did they both do it? Yes. Yes. So when 
when when the dumbness increases, the the the, the level of radicalism opposite that. Let me give you another example of dumbness. John McCain fighting a whole a, an uphill fight the whole time after winning the nomination. Has a highly successful convention. Sarah Palin becomes a major star. And for the first time in the entire election, John McCain takes over the lead in the real clear politics polling average around Labor Day. Uh, who would have anticipated that a week later he would shut his campaign down to go to Congress and support the lowest polling piece of legislation ever? Ever. Tarp. Did he do that? He did. He did. I, I can't. When, when there are certain things done, like Kirby Smart calling for a fake punt up by more than a touchdown against Alabama that put him right back in the game, when there's certain dumbassery committed, I, no analysis, no analysis can, can, can overcome that. That's where you've now changed. You have self-inflicted change, Mr. President, your margin of error so substantially now that now you've got to be better than we were anticipating you were going to have to be a few months ago, even a few weeks ago. And that's where I believe he's at now. His, his unfavorables are approaching. It doesn't matter who they nominate territory. So the number one thing the president has to accomplish, regardless of which of these two paths he has before him that I articulated, the number one thing he has to accomplish this year is he has got to, he's got to rebuild the stature of his presidency with the American people. He is in danger of becoming a joke. And I'm not talking about to the MSNBC crowd. I'm talking out in the suburbs where I live, where this election is going to be decided, where the Democrats largely just won 40 seats. That's what I'm talking about. I don't care. I don't I don't care how many times some fake news guy on CNN says this is this is the moment of no one's watching that. And, and, and the few that are, they've already voted nine times against Trump anyway. Th- th- those viewers and those voters, I know as conservative media, primarily what we do is counter that narrative. But but the counter t- we're countering a narrative that largely isn't going to reach most of the voters who are going to decide this thing because they don't trust and like CNN either. That's why their ratings suck. I'm talking about reaching the voters, the people that you can win. That's what I'm talking about. He needs to rebuild the stature of his presidency to those people. He's in danger of becoming a joke, a caricature to those people, Mr. President. And once you go joke, you go broke. Undeniable law of politics. Ask Elizabeth Warren. Once you go joke, you go broke. You need to be the president of the United States. No more ball-washing North Korean dictators. Uh, no, I didn't even know that this Cliff Sims guy worked in the White House and wrote a book saying Kellyanne Conway. I didn't even know. I work in the media. I didn't even know about this. I know about it now because the president highlighted it in his Twitter feed today. Why? Anything that won't win a potential voter, don't do. Period. Period. Don't say, don't do. You're not in the reality TV industry. Let your shills in conservative media do that for you. You need to be the president of the United States. You need to restore the stature of your office. You're a clown show to the right now to the Americans between these two tribes that are going to decide this thing. That live in suburbs like where I live, Mr. President. And you need to spend this year building up your favorables because right now your favorables are so low that when you go on the attack, 
you don't you you don't benefit from it. You need to build your favorables back up so that when you do attack next year during the election, you can benefit from it. You need to be the pre- your ability to control your own destiny in the election next year is going to be determined this year. You need to be the president of the United States. People need to respect you in that office. They need to think that your office and your presidency has stature. And if you do that, the odds are that they will then go with Swedish Sovietism greatly diminish. And this is what George Herbert Walker Bush didn't do. And that's why they went with a draft dodging philanderer. And this is what John McCain didn't do. And that's why they went with Jeremiah Wright's pet pupil. This is why this is what Hillary Clinton didn't do. And that's why they went with you. But the reverb on that thing is a son of a gun, brother. All right. So this isn't candidate Trump. This isn't trolling Trump. You've got all those voters. And congratulations, that's 191 electoral college votes if Aaron puts the map back up there. You gotta ask yourself, where are you getting the other 80 electoral college votes from? And now and then after and, and then what you need to do after you decide, and here's the strategy for the next six months of how we're gonna look like the president, major speeches we're gonna give, initiatives we're going to we're going to fight for. I'm going to I'm going to devise foreign um, obligations that put me in the most positive light. And not where I am literally um, uh, on my knees groveling before one of the most wicked men on planet Earth. I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, Then you need to decide from there at about the six month mark. If you've built your favorables up to, they're at least not, you know, subterranean as they are right now. Then you need to decide, do you want a national mandate or do you just want to get to 270? Because the policy messaging uh, are, is, is, is completely different. To have a national mandate, you will need to have a philosophical, comprehensive showdown with the Democratic Party. Because the policy initiatives and, 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 and priorities of Arizona aren't the same as Ohio. And Michigan's aren't the same as North Carolina's. So you need to have a you need to have an existential confrontation in order to get a national mandate. Meaning you need to defeat the Democratic Party is on the wrong side of history. If you don't think you're capable of that, or you don't think that's a winnable fight, then you craft a message that gets you to 270 and you follow a strategy similar to what you did at the end of the 2016 election where you basically are living in three or four states for the last three or four months of this election. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Because we're going to bake into the cake, you're already giving the typical investment in Ohio and Florida that we all know is required to win this thing anyway. But, but that's the second step here. The first step here is you need to reestablish your presidency. You need, to, you, need to, you need for people to say, I can see you being president for the next four years, sir. And I'm not talking about the people that are watching me on the blaze or watching Mark or Glenn or anybody else here on the blaze or anybody that's watching MSNBC or CNN or reading Vox or Salon. I'm not, I'm talking about the people that aren't doing any of those things because you're going to need to get 68 million votes minimum. You got 65 and change last time. That's who I'm talking about. They want to be proud of their president, sir. And right now, tell you this to your face, even if it may get me fired, they're not. 
And as long as that remains the case, the amount of Soviet-style Swedish government they're willing to put up with will continue to grow. Just as the amount of Obamaism they were willing to put up with will continue to grow, just as the amount of Clintonianism they were willing to put up with will continue to grow, right now you control your own destiny. You're the incumbent. You have the power of the office. You have the bully, the greatest bully pulpit on earth since the Pope doesn't apparently want to use his for anything good at the moment. So you have it now. Use it or lose it, brother. Right now. The decisions you're going to make these next six months are going to determine the kind of candidacy you're going to have 16 months from now. That would be the presentation that I would give this White House if I were its political director and they called me in today. More in a moment. Hey, when was the last time you had your ears professionally cleaned? Have you ever, you know, right now, particularly this time of year where we live in the Midwest, a lot of itchy ears out there, and we're not just talking about uh, what's happening in the culture, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, ear pain, ear aches, etc. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's not an infection. Sometimes it's just the wax buildup in your ears. You know, we've had that here at the office where we thought there were major technical difficulties happening because we couldn't hear the audio, and it just turned out that there was too much wax buildup on our earpieces. I mean, that that has happened on multiple. Occasions. That's why you want to talk to the people over at Wax RX. They use physician developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup. They, 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 it will then soothe the ear uh, as well with a pH conditioned formula. And if this sounds like something you got to go to the doctor's office to get, it used to be, but not anymore. You can now get Wax RX without a prescription. So no more time sitting in uh, waiting rooms, things of that nature. Uh, you can deal with this solution in the convenience of your own home. You can try the Wax RX system for a risk free today. If you just go to usewaxrx.com, that's the name of the website, usewaxrx.com. Just go to usewaxrx.com. And if you use the offer code radio at checkout, you'll get free shipping offer code radio at usewaxrx.com. All right, before we get to fake news or not, I sort of gave you an abbreviated uh, version of if I were the White House political director looking ahead to 2020. Uh, this is the presentation I would have given uh, to the team today, uh, or at least, you know, kind of a surface level version. There'd be more data and more to it, but this would be the gist of it. Gentlemen, uh, we ran out of time before I could get uh, your thoughts. So questions, comments, or insults, Todd? Well, so much of this analysis revolves around the people around the people. You talk about Trump's team. Uh, we've talked about a list of the people who have been Trump's team over the years, and they are now being arrested and or indicted and or what have you. There's not a team uh, by design with Donald Trump that can push him to be something other than Donald Trump. He's capable of getting away with that, clearly, within uh, high finance real estate world of Manhattan, but it's it's simply not going to happen um, in Washington, uh, D.C., with the level of triangulation uh, that needs to happen. His best hope is that the guy in Aaron's montage that was yelling at the um, Howard... Um, What's his name, Steve? Forgive Schultz. me. Schultz. Uh, that there's just so many people like that that terrify the hell of the average American that they will go back and consider 
Donald Trump once again. Uh, that would be the thing that would pull uh, Kamala Harris um, and the rest out. But you're uh, uh, out of their shell um, and make them seem uh, more worrisome. But you're absolutely right in your analysis, Steve. It, the things have flipped. She, he now is Hillary Clinton. He, 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 he just there's just I, it, it is a visceral. I can't. I won't. He, it, and so now somebody, for all the same reasons, gets to be Donald Trump. And it's a, well, yeah, she slept her way to the top, but she's not Donald Trump. It, it's remarkable how this is just a resetting of the same paradigm in that context. Aaron? Yeah, I think your analysis is uh, spot on. I will say this, though. We are close to the point, uh, based on what Todd kind of uh, alluded to at the end, and I said this earlier, where Kamala Harris is likable. And I'm saying likable, meaning she is an actual human being, not an autonomous, uh, whatever that word is, uh, a robot. Um, she, uh, that is the bar nowadays. That bar was set very, very low in 2016. And compared to Trump where he is right now, she is very much likable. She is not, she is not a, a robot like Clinton, like I just said. She actually, even though she gives, uh, you know, she opens her mouth and hell comes out as far as policy goes. Uh, she actually is able to put a real life face on it, even if it was a real life face who uh, slept her way or started to sleep her way to the top, like you mentioned earlier. She's at least a real human being, and compared to where Trump is right now, that is likable. So it may mean that regardless of what happens, um, it, she she might win because that is the bar for likable, and she's just a little bit more likable than Trump uh, right now. But as far as wanting to actually save and avoid, make her actually look like um, the policies that can come out of her mouth, which are very, very unlikable, Trump has to do exactly what you said. He, he has to start salvaging. He has to the, the bully pulpit is only the bully pulpit as so long as people actually think you're credible. Mm -hmm. The more you start, the more time you spend on Twitter tweeting like Bieber fever, fever and going after uh, so-called low-level employees that were just gophers. If he was just a gopher, why are you tweeting about him and giving him a huge... He said that in his tweet. Why are you giving... This is the same All he did was sell that guy another 25,000 exactly. bucks. Yeah. This is the same conversation we have with, with Trump every time he gets on Twitter and starts tweeting. He has to get over his own id. Yeah, now even more people think Kellyanne Conway is the chief leaker of the White House when a week ago, most of America didn't even know this book existed. That's that's what we're talking about. Um, it And the point that you made there at the end, it's only a bully pulpit if you have credibility. Pope Francis has every bit the bully pulpit John Paul II had to speak truth against communism in the Soviet Union. But because he's lost the credibility of using that pulpit, it's the same pulpit. He's the one that's lost credibility. He's not using it for a credibly righteous, consistently righteous cause. And that's why when he says something, it's a clown show. And that's why when John Paul II uh, shook his fist at the, at, at the Kremlin, he had more credibility. That's what we're, uh, He needs to reestablish the credibility of his presidency. Because outside of his hardcore base, it doesn't have much right now. Now, most of the time when we give you analysis on the show, we tell you we're not we're the meteorologist, right? You've heard us say this before. We have I've got nothing to do with what the weather is. This is a unique exception. I am giving this analysis with the specific expressed intent of trying to change what the current conditions are. Rather than sitting here a year from now or a year and a half from now and saying, how do we make an unwinnable situation look like it's not? I I I would prefer not to be in the Kobayashi Maru. 
You know, I'd, I'd prefer to never set foot in the neutral zone so that we don't have to worry about how do we get out? <laughs> okay. So this is, this is one of the rare times if you've listened to our show for years that I am preemptively attempting to alter an outcome with this analysis, because uh, as the great Ray Bradbury once said, something wicked this way comes, you know, so turn back. We don't have to go down this road. We don't. But if we keep going down this road, that light at the end of the tunnel ain't going to be the dawn. It's going to be a train. Let's get to this week's edition of Fake News or Not. We look at a collection of clips and we decide here on the show, is that fake news or not? Beginning with this one. Do you see yourself cooperating with Mueller in any way? You sort of dropped that hint yesterday in an interview uh, on ABC. Well, I, I think that's a bit of a bastardization of what I said. What'd what you I say? said was, I will, t I will tell the truth to Mr. Mueller. If I'm asked, I will tell the truth. I have told the truth consistently, even though some would say otherwise, but that they are incorrect. So if cooperating means I won't plead the Fifth Amendment, I will answer questions. I'm happy to answer questions. I don't know what else he may be investigating. I mean, if Steve Bannon did something wrong and I know anything about it, I would be more than happy to say so. I don't know that Mr. Bannon's done anything wrong. So here's why I wanted to play that clip is if you're watching us today on The Blaze and if you're listening today on the radio or the podcast, you don't get the full effect of why I wanted this clip to air. I just want you guys, you two to look at that, okay? Look at the gentleman there, Roger Stone. Look at that. Just as I didn't believe when BuzzFeed interrupted its weekly ranking of anal bleaching techniques to present the smoking gun against the Trump presidency that turned out to be faker than uh, cherry girl's nails. And I'm going to get you, sucker. All right. I don't believe for a second a guy who's had more facial work done than Streisand, who's even over tanned from Miami. I, I don't believe for a second that guy was Putin's conduit to infiltrate the 2016 election. I don't believe it. That, 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 I know the squealers. That guy's got apple dumpling gang wannabe loser written all over him. Fake news or not, Todd? <laughs> it's like he's trying out for the Jolson Follies. It's, um, yikes. Man, I, I Steve, I can't. I can't give... We are in the Kobayashi Maru. We're in it. There's nothing... We're in the soup, man! <laughs> there's... There's no... BuzzFeed Roger Stone, who you got? I... I here's let me here's what I got. Let me answer it this way. I got that. I I, I had a buddy of mine, and it, it was uh, perfect that he talked uh, on Facebook yesterday about this, uh, complaining about uh, Roger Stone. And I reset for him what we talked about yesterday, and I said to my buddy, listen, I, I know you, you can't stand the guy with Donald Trump, and yes, he's surrounded by uh, these people, but on the Russian collusion thing, isn't it becoming increasingly clear with every one of these guys that Mueller has been taking all this time, mostly just he had to calibrate himself to something that totally unbelievable that is come out to be true, that he is just surrounded by nitwit after Trump was, after nitwit after nitwit. And he got back to me and said, you know what, that is as likely as anything else. I. So what do I, there's no, too much of 
news analysis, news analysis these days has become of me and everybody else having to do this. I mean, poor Aaron is going to break his wrist pretty soon because everything belongs in. There's no, there's nothing to analyze. It's just stupid. It's grown, and my kids are talking to me all, all the time these days, and I about what they think about grownups. And I said, here's the thing: with kids, you, you, your sins often can only mushroom so big. What you need to understand about that, you, you don't grow up and just become an adult in a way that you think you do. And we all did when we were kids. You know, you you grow up, and that's a good thing. No, you you your sins manifest themselves all the more. They mushroom cloud themselves, and that's what you are seeing here. You, Steve has said these are. Boys who can shave are so far out of their depth. And it's not just in the Trump uh, uh, presidency. It's in your colleges. It's, it's, it's just everywhere. We are living in a land of juvenile delinquents. Oh. All right, Aaron, I'm going to give you this next clip. This is some contrarian analysis from what we've heard from me predominantly on this show, which is why I wanted our audience to have a chance to listen to it for themselves. Uh, I think the president is in a better position now than he was a week ago, even though they want to try to say, oh, Nancy Pelosi scored a lot of points. What Pelosi and Schumer Schumer did is they put these self-imposed impediments in the way to actually striking a deal. Oh, we can't we can't walk and chew gum. We can't have a discussion about this while the government's closed. Well, now it's open. We can't have the president go before the American people and make that case at the State of the Union because the government's closed, even though it was this fake thing that Nancy Pelosi came up with about security. Well, guess what? Now it's open. So that State of the Union, I fully expect that the president should be able to make that in the next, uh, you know, seven to 10 days. And the president has that bully pulpit at the bottom line of this. Donald Trump is fighting for something. He's fighting for the safety and security of the United States of America. He's fighting for the Border Patrol agents who put the those men and women who put their lives on the line. I've been out there with him. It's dangerous and we don't pay him much. Meanwhile, you have Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer doing what? They just hate Trump. And I think that's seeping through to the American people. The president never left town. He's been very tempered in his approach. He's been saying, I, this is exactly what I want and why we need it as a country. And that will continue to win the day. So that's Jason Chaffetz, former congressman, who has given plenty of contrarian analysis uh, since he left Congress to join Fox. That's a perspective on the events of the last week that I don't share, but I thought it was a credible analysis that I wanted our audience to hear. The other side of the coin, Aaron, fake news or not? Total or fake just news. a difference Total of opinion? fake news. Yeah, okay. Complete fake news. That sounds like somebody who spent way too much time in, in the swamp and has Potomac fever because he's talking like somebody who's... Um, that, that would only be true if the other side is actually willing to negotiate. We know that's not true at all. We know that's not true. Um, what happens when you stay in Washington for too long? Uh, you start to um, you start to believe like Lindsey Graham when he was giving that viral speech at the Kavanaugh hearings. These were my friends. Um, that's what you say when you think the people on the other side of the aisle are just your friends and you're just there to negotiate. That's complete fake news. That's uh, complete BS. This is the year of no BS. Uh, because that is um, that, that that analysis, that difference of opinion, that difference analysis, what have you, uh, is starting from the premise that this is actually a fair debate. This is actually a fair two-sided debate. That there's mm-hmm. going to be some give and take. There's no give and take with these people. He should know that. But of course, he's been he was in Washington for too long, apparently, and um, that's that's I think what's tainting his analysis. All right. Next clip. The locusts continue to feast. How do, how do you get a viable third party in this country? You elect a president. 
I mean, I think it, regardless of the third party thing, I think it tells you way more about what white male billionaires think about themselves, that they should be in charge. And I think in this moment in time where you have all these working class people of all backgrounds who've been hurt by the Trump administration, to put another white male billionaire who um, is putting, is, thinks the deficit is the biggest crisis in the country. That is r- ridiculous given where the electorate is at. People want, um, you know, I think Ocasio-Cortez, one of the reasons she's popular is because she's a working class person from the Bronx. We need to see more leaders like that. Todd, fake news or not? Uh, fake news and, and shame on Katie Turr uh, for letting that guy get away with that blatant racism. Look, look, look at him confidently carrying on as if his opinion has value and might be better than somebody else. Wow, crazy. So, you know, why doesn't a white male billionaire get to do that and, you know, make money and make some jobs and have an opinion that he thinks is better, an idea that he thinks is better? That's what I find important. Once again, Katie, Tur- as Steve, you walked off a set because of this. They let that stand. This, this guy, his opinion, I mean, his, his opinion generally on the topic, the specific topic is is terrible. But more more broadly than that, the the race baiting, he, doesn't he have a job? Isn't he brought on that show to have that's, an opinion that is, that is that's his job. better than somebody else? That Why do you job. get to be better and somebody else doesn't? Because they, they hate you. Yes. So that's what, they, they, there's no... There's no discussing there's no Aaron said it there's no dialogue there's no debating there's no reason people like that are I'm just gonna say it they are a plague because a plague by definition will they just go it overruns everything in its midst it is not there to shake your hand to consult with you to give you a hug it's there to wipe you out home title lock is here to protect you from identity theft protection. Now, you might be saying, how does that happen? It's, it, it, I already have identity theft protection. Yes, but did you know that even if your identity is compromised and they can't get a credit card or something in your name because of it, do you know that you have other investments that they can use that information to then acquire and steal from you? And one of the primary targets, the equity in your own home, the most valuable asset most Americans have. See, it's those kinds of secondary level attachments you have that are not covered by your identity theft. So what's that look like? Well, we recently had a massive breach, 24 million more uh, were in the news recently. Well, now maybe they have the last four digits of your social. They maybe have a middle initial, a maiden name, a checking account number, the kind of thing that you would use to personally identify yourself when you go online to do business and say, yes, it's me. Uh, now they have that information. So even if they can't steal your identity, what they can do is use that identity to pretend they're you, to get the kinds of things from you that identity theft does not protect like the deed to your home, your home equity, the most valuable asset most Americans will have. If you want to do something about this, here's the good news. It's just pennies on the dollar every day to have home title lock, put a virtual barrier around your home's title, around that equity, around that most valuable asset that you have. Uh, and and right now, if you want to find out, hey, has, has, has somebody targeted me already? Was my identity in one of those that were in that recent breach that I read about? And to somebody using that information to come after uh, my my biggest and most important investment, they'll give you a free title report and scan right now at Home Title Lock. That normally costs about 100 bucks, but if you're part of our team and our family here at The Blaze today, they'll give it to you for free. Just sign up at HomeTitleLock.com. Sign up at HomeTitleLock.com. We're out of time. There were a couple of more uh, of these I wanted to get to, but just to follow up, 
you just explained why Aaron thought Jason Chaffetz's analysis was fake. Yeah. See, those two, see, I put these in order for a reason. Because Jason Chaffetz, if indeed we were having an actual negotiation here, a, a real power play about leverage and a give and get, his analysis would be correct. But we're having a zero-sum game, pass-fail, surrender-lose um, competition. Because the people that you saw on the KD Tour clip have no interest. They're not giving you anything. It's you It's you decide if, they're get, if they get to cut your throat or you do. And that's why what happened last week was so damaging. Hour two is next. All right, we are back with hour two of the Steve Day Show here on The Blaze, live and on demand. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you get email us. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. You may have seen, by the way, last name is D-E-A-C-E for those of you that are just listening to us today or checking out the podcast on demand later. Uh, you may have uh, heard about the weather uh, in the Midwest, and we're pretty hardy folk, but we got record cold happening right now. Yeah, universities canceling classes, schools canceling everywhere as well. It's so cold, man. I'm like, I don't even want to get up and go to the gym today, but I got to get my workout in. Here's the thing though. I, this is why I don't buy home gym equipment. So if you're listening at the, in the blaze sales office, I'm probably not the guy to ask to uh, endorse a Bowflex. I, I can't do it at home. I tried, I tried. I need to get out because I'm used to at home this is where I come to chillax, as my kids like to say. This is the this is the portrait of solitude. You You're know? just too good at compartmentalizing. That. Yes, I, I when I'm at home, I'm I'm a homebody. But today, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I am not. It's too cold. The walk from the parking lot to the front door of the gym will just zap whatever will you have. So I I, I went online. I'm looking up this at home military push up workout, you know, and I'm like, yeah, because today's upper body day for me. So I'm like, I, I think I can make this work. But I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get up in the morning. It's going to be dark because it's dark to like 10 a.m. now this time of year. And, I, and, and all of my will is going to be zapped. So you know what I did, man? I got up this morning. I popped in a couple of those uh, from dawn till dusk from Brickhouse Nutrition. They're all natural energy, mental focus supplement. It's not like that. You know, whatever those things, our pill bottles full of 75 chemicals uh, that, that, you know, it's, it, this is the real stuff. It's created by physicians. It's made of the stuff your body's made of. And so your body will respond to it naturally. That's why you won't have any crashes or jitters or, uh, you know, any kind of uh, digestive issues and everything, anything of that nature. And the, uh, the, the, the added edge that gave me this morning to stay disciplined, um, that's why I'm a huge fan of this product. And if you want to check it out for yourself, it is a groundbreaking formula that has, that really works for me. Here's how you can do it. Visit brickhousesteve.com. They have a special website just for fans of the show, brickhousesteve.com. And if you use my name, Steve, as a promo code, you'll get 15% off your first order. They got a lot of other cool products there. Uh, Field of Greens is how you can uh, trick, for lack of a better word, your kids into finally uh, drinking their vegetables at least. But if you're looking for this energy supplement, as a huge market right now on energy drinks and things of that nature. Don't put something into your body you cannot pronounce. All right, do this the nature's way, the creator's way. BrickhouseSteve.com and use promo code Steve to get 15% off of your first order. 
Today's truth bomb brought to you by a completely contrived attempt to promote my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise, available at bookstores everywhere, including Amazon right now, if you haven't picked up your copy yet. Uh, and you can also leave us a five-star review. Now, don't lie if you haven't read it or you don't like the book, but if you have read it and you do like it, if you'd leave us one of those at Amazon, we would appreciate that as well. One of the endorsers of our new book is our guest today's boss. Ben Shapiro uh, over the Daily Wire was kind enough to endorse the book and promote it on his podcast last Friday. Josh Hammer is the new editor at large for the Daily Wire. And for the first time, we're going to have a guest on today's Truth Bomb. One of the chapters in the book deals specifically with confronting the judiciary. And, and Josh is uniquely qualified. I'm a conservative ideologue. So, you know, I, I'm pretty well versed in the legal philosophies and things of that nature that are that are you know, that are at war with one another over issues like judicial supremacy. But there's one thing about, you know, having theorized it. It's another thing having been in the arena and what would it look like if you were asked to judge or preside over an attempt to actually confront a runaway judiciary. Josh was uh, spent last year as I think the clerk for uh, on the U.S. Court of Appeals. Correct, Josh? Uh, on the fifth circuit. That's right, Steve. Yep. All right. So you would be conceivably in your previous uh, work, you, you, you are now advocating a, a, a president Trump do something that in your previous job, if he followed through with it a year prior, you would be one of the people looking at the legalities uh, and the arguments about the legality of it. So we want to walk our audience through a very practical process involving the wall and an emergency declaration. And then what happens if, if we're right, there will be some federal judge somewhere from the 666th district of Babylon who will put an injunction on said effort. And then what happens from there? Because on a political level, I'll do the politics. I'll let you do the legalities. Okay. On a political level, I think the, maybe the fate of Trump's presidency is being determined right now. I think this is the degree all in moment. This is the read my lips moment. I think he's got to win this and he's got to come through, but I'm, I'm struggling with how he will win this now without delving into your arena, Josh, and confronting the judiciary head on. So let's start with the issues. We, we let's assume the next two weeks pass. Democrats don't budge. And to avoid another shutdown, he just goes ahead and, 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 and keeps the government open, signs the budget, but issues a separate emergency declaration saying because of the crisis at the border, I'm taking executive action in order to begin the construction on the wall. Based on your best knowledge of the law, does the president have the power to do that? I think he does. I, I absolutely think he does. I mean, in my best view of the law uh, John Eastman is a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute, blogs about this at American Greatness. John Yu, who's a professor at Cal Berkeley, uh, also affiliated with Claremont Institute, he wrote the Los Angeles Times. They both clerked for Justice Thomas on the Supreme Court. Uh, they think that President Trump pretty clearly has the statutory authority to, to do this. Uh, your friend, our friend Daniel Horowitz, has written about this at Conservative Review. I think Daniel has this exactly right. It seems pretty clear to me that uh, Congress has delegated this power to the president. Um, he has statutory authority under numerous statutes, as far as I can tell, to enact this. Um, I actually respectfully disagree uh, with my dear, dear dear friend and my own boss, Ben Shapiro, on this question. Obviously, uh, you know, don't disagree with my boss lightly, obviously, but uh, I do see the legality here slightly differently. I do think he, he has a statute. I do think he has a statutory authority to do so. 
Uh, you know, whether it's politically prudent for him to do so is obviously kind of a different question. Uh, Eric Erickson seems to think it's not so politically prudent. But as far as the black letter statutory authority to do so, I do think it's there. Yes. Now, what do you think of the argument that this is this is exactly what Obama was doing via executive fiat that conservatives like you and me had all our tidy whities in a bunch about for for several years, particularly Obama's made up executive amnesty, for example. What would, he, would, he, would you say to those who say now you guys are hypocrites because you want Trump to do uh, what you were condemning Obama of doing? Are these things morally? Well, let's just stick to the legally. Are they legally statutorily equivalent? Not at all. And they're not they're not all equivalent for a very straightforward reason. Uh, there's a very famous concurrence uh, from Justice Jackson in the steel seizure case in 1952, I believe, the, the famous Youngstown case when President Truman tried to uh, seize the steel mills for domestic production vis-a-vis the Korean War effort. And the Supreme Court uh, put a halt on that. But the famous opinion is not the majority opinion. It's the concurrence from Justice Jackson, which which everyone talks about and what you learn in law schools to this day. What Justice Jackson talked about is there are three levels of executive action. Where executive action is at its highest levels, when the president is acting either directly, explicitly, or implicitly according to delegate statutory authority. The middle ground is where Congress is silent. And in Justice Jackson's words, presidential power is at its, quote, lowest ebb, where he has directly defined the explicit or implicit will of Congress. But the difference between what President Trump would do here and what President Obama did vis-a-vis uh, DACA and DAPA uh, executive amnesties is fun. It, it's exactly the difference there between the first and third prong of the Justice Jackson concurrence. Uh, Congress explicitly rejected the DREAM Act. It, it had an opportunity to vote on it legislatively, and they voted down. So when President Obama en- enacted DACA before the 2012 election to say nothing of DAPA, which is an even more expansive amnesty, he was directly defying the explicit will of Congress. Mm-hmm. He was acting at its lowest ebb in the Youngstown formulation. Here, on the other hand, President Trump is acting, as far as I can tell, my, my reading of the statute, and again, the reading of Professors Eastman and you that I referenced earlier, President Trump would, would be acting directly pursuant to delegate statutory authority. And that makes all the difference in the world here. So to make this as simple as we can for, the, for our audience, there is a difference between a president exercising affirmative statutory authority that constitutionally he is not specifically given to a president saying, I will enforce pre-existing statutory authority because I am the chief executive of the branch of government that executes that statutory authority. That's what we do. That, that's what you would say the difference between the two is here. So that's a difference as far as statutory authority is concerned, 100 percent. I think there's an interesting independent question as to whether the president has something closely akin to inherent Article II constitutional authority to do this. That's a very strong claim. and I'm not prepared to quite go there. Mm-hmm. But when you when you couple the commander in chief prerogative to secure the, the country, along with the Article Four constitutional prerogative to repel border invasions, mm-hmm. You get you get something close to what Trump's Office of Legal Counsel might be able to persuasively argue amounts to something pretty close to to, to quasi inherent constitutional authority. So when you kind of combine that with what is, in my view, pretty clearly delegated statutory authority, 
Um, I, I, I do think the president has this power. I, again, whether it's politically prudent to set that precedent is kind of a different question. But I think I do think he has a legal power. I really do. You referenced your boss, Ben Shapiro, there at the Daily Wire, who's a fairly accomplished uh, attorney uh, in his own right. He disagrees with your with with your reading of this. What's the most in, in the interest of the most intellectual honesty we can provide our audience? What do you think is his most compelling counter argument that gives you any pause? So if you read some of the statutes that are implicated here from the National Emergencies Act, um, they reference military action. Now, I think that there is military action going on the border. The president has sent troops there. We have a very strong military presence there. But we're not actually sending, uh, you know, choppers down to commit on the ground air warfare against the drug cartels in northern Mexico. Um, so I think the best argument is that even if there's a creative textual hook for military action that implicates some of these statutes, mm-hmm. um, there's not actually a direct military confrontation such that Congress may have intended in its mind when it promulgated these codes. And vis-a-vis, that would probably be why somebody like an Eric Erickson and others are concerned that setting this precedent then uh, of this interpretation of this statute will be used later on by a progressive to say, and and because of gun violence in schools, uh, that's a clear and present danger that uh, I am ordering uh, the National Guard uh, to go and confiscate guns as an extreme example. That 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 promulgation would be their concern about setting this precedent, right? Yes. And there's obviously an intellectually honest argument that that it would not be pursuant to any delegated statutory authority, whereas this is. But of course, the left doesn't care about this niceties, right? So, I mean, more cynically, what, what we're worried about is they're not them not caring about statutes. So if we do it, then they'll just do it regardless of whether they have the statute to do so or not. Right. Because you know, in, in, in that example that I've seen used by some conservatives that you and I would know and like, the difference would be I have an expressed constitutional granted uh, recognized authority uh, and right to own a weapon. All right. Uh, so uh, if, if if we're at the point that that progressives are so far gone that explicit wording of the Constitution is of no regard to them, then I would actually make the case that we're at the point of no longer being concerned about what precedents will be set later on because they'll just do whatever the hell they want anyway, Josh, whenever they want to do it, if that's where we're at, right? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, look, once you establish a constitutional right to abortion, which the Supreme Court, of course, has done for the past 46 years since Roe, Mm -hmm. um, we're obviously very close in some districts. I mean, the court's basically already there in, in many ways to an affirmative right to have your taxpayer funded abortion. Um, so, I mean, if that's in there, then like, then the conservatives might as well say, okay, okay. I mean, like, can you constitutional right to taxpayer subsidize my, my Glock? Right. Um, I mean, it's not, right. Right. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not clear where this ends. Right. So let's fast forward then. I, president issues this emergency declaration, which I think is at least 95% the only chance he has of, of even breaking ground on this wall. Democrats aren't going to cave at all. So he issues this emergency declaration. We are in an era where, you know, because you would have heard some of these cases in the U.S. Court of Appeals, where federal judges are literally ignoring statutes and rendering injunctions against Trump policies on the basis of, and I'm not making this up, they don't like the rhetoric in his campaign speeches. This is literally occurring. Okay. So in other words, by hook or by crook, 
That's really what we're talking about. They're, they're just going to say whatever they want to say because they want to say it, and they'll come up with any rationale to say it. So the likelihood that in about 10 minutes, a federal judge will issue an injunction saying this is a violation of your expressed executive power is, I think, we both think that's probably very high, correct? Very high. Very high. Very high, for sure. Okay. If the president were to want to defy that federal order, what would happen? What would that look like in your view? Yeah, so this would be a bold move by the president. I've obviously publicly encouraged him to do so. I, I, I think I think he should do so. Um, constitutionally, this is, this is the crisis of Republican self-governance that judicial supremacy has brought upon us since the Cooper v. Aaron case in 1958. Fundamentally, the Article Three judicial power binds parties to the suit. It does not bind anyone further than that. These nationwide injunctions that have become all the rave over the mm-hmm. past five years are completely anathema to the history of judicial power in the Republic. They were pretty much never used prior to the past. Uh, the, the first such instance was like in the 1960s, and even that was like a small blip in the radar. It didn't really become popular until the 2000s, really. Um, so, what, so how this would actually work is President Trump would have to get out there and say, I will enforce this judgment in this district court as it applies to the named party in this lawsuit. But much like Abraham Lincoln did in his first inaugural address in addressing the Dred Scott case, he said, I will not recognize this judgment as it pertains to people who are not parties to the actual lawsuit. And what he'll have to do is he'll have to have his Office of Legal Counsel, which is the DOJ branch basically responsible for uh, submitting legal opinions to, to the Office of the Presidency. He'll have to have them craft a very persuasive memo. And that memo will be heavy on Lincoln. It will be heavy on explaining why Cooper v. Aaron and judicial supremacy is wrong, why the judiciary does not fundamentally bind the other two coordinate branches when it pertains to broader political questions as opposed to discrete idiosyncratic judicial lawsuits for the parties to the suit. And he'll have to make the public case. He'll have to go on the case. He'll have to get out there and make a White House statement. He'll have to go on the airwaves. He'll have to perhaps even go town and town and talk to local reporters, because this will cause, obviously, it would cause a firestorm. I mean, mm-hmm. our, our, our our friends on the, on the other side of the aisle on the left would obviously go ahead and call it a constitutional crisis. Oh, there will be um, plenty of people wearing our uniform, particularly working at the offices yeah. of National Review, who will say the exact same thing if this were to happen. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, the, the, completely fair. Um, there'll be many people on our side who will, who, who will say the same thing. And... It's only a crisis insofar as it's different in the past 60 years of governance, but that doesn't mean anything. That just means that we've been off the rails for the past 60 years. And the president, for all of his myriad personal you know, foibles and fallings, is exactly the right person, in my opinion, to do this. Because he is, he, 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 he more than anyone else who probably has ever occupied his office, does not care what the elites think. And, and he has this kind of nascent, embedded anti-judicial sentiment. We kind of heard that back during mm-hmm. the 2016 campaign, right? The, the so-called judge comment. I mean, he's the guy to do this. I mean, he uh, and look, people on the left would scream autocracy, dictatorship, constitutional crisis. But really what Trump would be doing in recognizing an injunction only as pertains to the parts of the suit and not recognizing it to any other parties All he would be doing is standing exactly with Abraham Lincoln. That's all he would be doing. But as you pointed out, we now we're at the point that the political and legal arenas cannot be compartmentalized. There's got to be a convergence here. He has got to make 
this case persistently wouldn't even just be one address because here's the here's the issue that I think a lot of people that think the way you and I think on, on these on, on judicial supremacy haven't considered and that is you know when Obama when we had the shutdown in 2014 and Obama's putting the barricades around Washington monuments just really total douchetastic you know maneuvers to try to make it as draconian and Byzantine as he can right well you know Obama wasn't going out there and putting the and and and, and taping off the Vietnam War Memorial, Josh, right? Okay. They had to get a bureaucratic action to act upon his edicts. So the president can say, I'm going to defy this order this way. But he's not going down to build that wall himself, whether it's Army Corps of Engineers, contractors, whoever is, um, there's going to be people whose land will probably have to be eminent domain to build it on some level. There's going to have to be a lot of acquiescence to people who agree with him on this. It's not like he just defies it and they start construction the next day. So there's layers of bureaucracy that have to execute his order for him to be able to truly defy it. That's one of the reasons why this requires a persistent political case-making because we're not just dealing with something um, where even an emancipation proclamation is made, which which this is going to require brick and mortar and people that are going to therefore perform those acts of brick and mortar that are going to have to say, I'm going to follow the president's order rather than the federal judge's order. You see what I'm the point I'm trying to make here. And has what happens if if you know how many layers of bureaucracy does it take one person to say or one layer to say we're not really comfortable not following through with this federal judge. Um walk us through that process illegally what that would look like. Sure. So the way it works legally is pretty straightforward. Um I mean, here, I I have my little pocket constitution right here. Um, Article 2 of the Constitution is very straightforward. Okay, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 1. The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. Does not say the executive power shall Mm -hmm. be vested in various and sundry bureaucrats who work across all these FDR, LBJ, alphabet soup agencies. Okay, Mm -hmm. This is what conservatives refer to as uh, unitary executive theory. It became kind of a popular... Uh, a straw man for the left to attack during the Bush years, during the Iraq adventures overseas. But unitary executive theory is right there in Article 2, Section 1, Clause 1. And what that means is that the president has plenary constitutional authority to delegate the executive power of the United States. And all of the underlings below him report to him. And what that means concretely is that for Customs and Border Patrol, Border Patrol, Department of Homeland Security, all the agencies whose actors within them are reporting to the agency mm-hmm. are all ultimately are all ultimately accountable not to a judge, not to Article Three. They are subordinates of the executive power of the United States, and the executive power of the United States, per the vesting clause of Article Two of the Constitution, is vested in one person only, and that one person is the President of the United States. So, legally speaking, these underlings do not report, or in any way, are they're not accountable to a rogue district judge, or for that matter, they're not accountable to the nine robed oracles at the Supreme Court. They're accountable to the president and only to the president. So legally speaking, that's that's how it works. They're not accountable to Congress. They're not accountable to the judge. Per the vesting clause of the Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution, they are only accountable ultimately to the president of the United States. 
but because of what you just said is why he's got to make a compelling political case. I go to his trans ban in the military. All right. So he issues a ban as the commander in chief, the duly elected commander in chief of a civilian civilian military. He issues an order saying we're, we're you know, more transvestite crossdressers in the military. Basically, Mattis and the people at the Pentagon are like, yeah, screw that noise. We're not doing it. OK, so what we are in an env- what happens if we get that in that environment and the people be- he's going to have to make a very compelling political case why this is the right thing so he doesn't have people going off and filing separate injunction lawsuits hey he wants he's trying to compel me to violate a federal court order from a judge things of that nature holding that in line requires death use of the bully pulpit don't you think josh Oh, 100 percent. I, I, to be fully candid with you, Steve, it's not at all obvious to me that, that the president has the political willpower to be able to pull this kind of thing off. Um, I, 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 I really do think it would be the the right move that he is if he can really wrap his head around it and sink his teeth into it. then he is like uniquely positioned to do so and begin to turn back this clock against the judicial supremacist tide that has been overtaking this country and wreaking havoc ever since Cooper v. Aaron of 1958. But he really needs to get into it. And, you know, as we know, as, as we both know, Steve, the president doesn't always fully wrap his head around every policy or legal nuance that he kind of, uh, you know, t- it touches his toes into a, mm-hmm. at a very superficial level. So he, he, he's going to have to dive in here. I mean, he's going to have to really eat this up. Um, his advisors close to him, uh, Stephen Miller and people like that should probably give they, him. In other words, they should be letter. planning this out right now if they're going to do yes, this. A hundred percent. Final question. If he doesn't do this and it gets tied up in the courts, what are the uh, what are the chances you think, given the uniqueness of this situation, the Supreme Court would give him emergency or you know rapid cert to hear the court, the case right away, like you saw with the Florida recount in Bush v. Gore, for example, or that this would get tied up in in years of of you know back and forth legal maneuvering? As a guy that served in the you know clerked at a federal court of appeals, what do you think the bureaucratic process would do? Yeah, so two things on that front. One is I do think that this would be an extremely high likely possibility for a quick cert grant and a quick oral argument at the Supreme Court. I mean, this is the this would be the quintessential kind of case for that, um, and a, a dramatically pressing federal issue um, where the president is, is, is would, would be taking a bold stand, deeply controversial. So it, it would be the quintessential kind of case for a quick cert grant by the Supreme Court. What's also interesting is that. Well, I, well, I share your pessimism as to whatever rogue district court judge, wherever like the ACLU or the leftist groups file this lawsuit would probably rule against the president. What I think is interesting is that I actually anticipate the Supreme Court very similar to the Trump v. Hawaii travel ban ruling, as they mm-hmm. called it last June. Mm-hmm. I, I would expect a 5-4 ruling on this, in the it, it, at least 5-4, actually, in support of the president. Because um, not only does he have that statutory authority, but there are all there are all sorts of other legal doctrines just really, really generally urging uh, the courts to just stay away when it comes to national security and foreign affairs, especially vis-a-vis immigration enforcement. This is kind of truly, truly uh, what, what our friend Daniel Horowitz calls the plenary power doctrine of immigration authority. So I actually think Trump would, would prevail at this at the Supreme Court. Um, but I, I, I do share pessimism as to what would happen at a district court level. Josh Hammer, great stuff over at The Daily Wire. Thanks for joining us today here on The Blaze, brother. Appreciate your work. Thank you. Thanks so much, Steve. Had a great time. All right, take care. Again, Josh uh, served as a uh, clerk in the Federal Court of Appeals uh, last year before joining The Daily Wire. We got a couple of minutes here. I want to give you guys a chance to kind of make sense of the conversation you just heard from Josh and I. Your thoughts. Aaron, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think the th- thing that stood out to me the most was at the very end where the likelihood of, uh, you know, emergency 
um, you know, a hearing at the, the Supreme Court would maybe be in favor of the president. That was that surprised me, actually. That's the most surprising thing. But as far as actually game planning this out, that is the big thing, because we just heard a very compelling case from Josh that the president does. Hey, guys, he, he has presidential powers. He is the commander in chief. That's essentially the argument that we just heard from Josh um, and sp spelled out in, of course, more detail as he as he does. Um, but the, the thing that needs to happen again is this needs to be planned out right now, as you guys just discussed. This needs to be in planning right now. And maybe maybe it's my youthful optimism or bubbling to the top again. How dare I do this? Maybe, maybe that's why they needed to just let this thing go with the government shut down for a couple of weeks. I'm trying to talk myself into any form of optimism to have this plan, to have the time to put this plan in motion to defy the courts because they knew they weren't going to get anything done legislatively. Again, Again, that doesn't really, that's kind of incongruous with how we've seen um, President Trump's demeanor uh, over the course of the last two years. But again, if they're going to do this, they need to do this right. And if it's going to be done right, then they have to be in planning mode right now, yesterday. That's what needs to happen. I don't have faith that it is, but if it's going to happen, that's what needs to happen. Todd? I think... Josh gave a really good only Nixon could go to China kind of analysis <laughs> yeah. by by comparing Donald Trump to Abraham Lincoln and saying, like, you, you can't compare anybody to Abraham Lincoln, really. But when the moment is nuts enough, you can just say, like, there's a guy and a moment and these weird times and you just kind of got to throw. He's right about he is right about that. But I have that same feeling with this and Josh talking about every time when you talk about it and you talked about that one episode with Noah Rothman, the the. It's so clear to me, the analysis. I don't think he's connecting a million dots. The politics aside, the legal dots are so clear to me. Yet the fact we have to work so hard to convince in a brainwashed political circus and a brainwashed public, well, the courts have spoken. The, it, it's, it's why that Nixon could go to China analysis by Josh is so apropos. I'd be worried about John Roberts. and um, That's an evergreen. Really? And... and this is I would never dare debate uh, legal legalities or legalese with Josh. And the reason we had him on the show is he can provide our audience expertise. We can't. But I don't I, I think John Roberts is more of a political animal than a, than a chief justice of the Supreme Court. True. And just as he was hesitant twice to get rid of Obamacare and what that president would set and saved it twice. Yep. I, I could see him being concerned about the precedent of granting this interpretation of this power to Trump and actually organizing a five four vote the other way. Yes. We'll come back. More on The Blaze here in a moment. One of the things we like to do on our show is encourage and support individuals who have the courage to take a stand and try to affect positive change. One such person is Miss Victoria Hurst, and she's taking one of the toughest stances you can possibly take. Uh, she's standing up against her own family. Uh, she's a descendant of uh, William Randolph Hearst, uh, one of the great tycoons in American history, and part of her family's uh, media conglomerate is Cosmopolitan Magazine. 
And uh, Victoria is concerned that in recent years, Cosmo has uh, upped the ante, unfortunately, on adult-oriented content, even though it continues to market itself uh, to daughters like Todd's and mine, uh, despite that adult content. And and she's proposing a reasonable step, uh, not censorship, but if, if they want to be more of an adult publication, like a, a Playboy, for example, uh, then they should be shielded and marketed as such. And our minors, our daughters, ought to be protected uh, from being exposed to that adult material. And she needs our help to get the attention of her family's magazine. So she started this website, CosmoHurtsKids.com. Cosmo Hurts Kids, H-U-R-T-S this time, CosmoHurtsKids.com. And she's hoping we can raise enough awareness with the audience here at The Blaze to get the attention of the powers that be at Cosmopolitan Magazine and get them to agree that if they want to be an adult publication, it should be marketed only for adults. If you want to learn more, go to CosmoHurtsKids.com, CosmoHurtsKids.com. Before we get to Pop Culture Tuesday, you know, Todd, you and I were just talking about something here right before we came back from break that I, I think is really important. And if you are a Blaze viewer, uh, listener, um, and you're listening to the live broadcast then um, or watching it, you have probably heard one of the in-house promos we've run and you hear Glenn Beck's voice talking about how we don't always have to agree on everything here all the time. And I don't think people maybe fully understand how impressive it is that Josh came on here, uh, Josh Hammer from uh, the Daily Wire, and gave an honest uh, his analysis of the legalities involved in an emergency declaration and whether Trump can do it or whether he can stand up against uh, the federal courts or not. And uh, his own boss, Ben Shapiro, who could very well be the biggest star in all of conservative media right now, um, who himself is a lawyer and a highly educated one, uh, doesn't agree with the entirety of his own legal analysis. And yet he's able, provided that, you know, he's not making stuff up, but he has his facts straight. He's able to come to his own analysis and his own opinion. That is what you hear Glenn talk about in uh, our branding here in our in-house promos and what you heard Josh uh, just openly offer up um, preemptively without me even asking him, that is exceedingly rare in any format. We are mistaking diversity for conformity. Now, hey, there are certain fundamental things we, you know, we can't disagree on because they are fundamental things. You know, a being is either alive or dead, for example. All right. Water is either wet or not, all right? The sun is either hot or not, okay? I mean, there, there are fundamental things that we just, because of the laws of nature and nature's God, we don't have the permission um, from uh, the highest authorities in the cosmos to disagree upon. But barring that, um, I, you know, there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. And... I think we uh, it, it's good that we don't have to agree when we get into analytical situations because these things aren't always cut and dried. And you even heard me to say to Josh, I have advocated a chief executive do this since my buddy Bob Vanderplatz last ran for governor nine years ago. The show, a variation of the conversation you just heard Josh and I do, I have done this show in the last decade 
hundreds of times, written whole chapters in my latest book, other books. I mean, I, I have talked more about this topic more than anyone else. And I'm a staunch advocate of putting the courts back where they belong. And even I want you to understand that even if Trump were to defy, defy this federal court, it's not as simple as he said the, told the court to go take a hike, so we start building the wall tomorrow. That you know, So I think we actually get stronger when we test each other's analysis. Um, that's why we play Jason Chaffetz clip in the uh, in, in fake news or not, where he has a totally contrarian analysis to mine on on what happened with the outcome of the the shutdown last week. So, you know, I, I think that um, that's one of the reasons why you hear us say on our show, we're not always trying to win an argument, Todd. We're trying a lot of times we're just trying to start one. I mean, we actually just want to start this conversation that Josh and I addressed. It's this is an argument long overdue and conservative media. And so we don't anticipate a conversation that's 20 years late starting. We're going to win it in one, in one back and forth. There's probably aspects of this. I haven't even contemplated would be the, un, you know, the uh, unintended consequences of going down this road. But that's why, again, we need to come now and reason together along these lines much more. Oh, my favorite way, the way you put it uh, quite often uh, biblically is iron sharpens iron. Uh, and what all of us and what uh, the folks over there uh, in Ben Shapiro land uh, agree on is that uh, they love the Constitution and it is vital that they, we preserve it. It's, it's as relevant uh, as ever to sustaining us as a people. Uh, that whole Camilla said, hey, time to move on. It's just it's the most dangerous notion in the world that just because we live here in this moment and those people lived there 300 years ago, that we're uh, uh, more correct than them just because we're breathing the most recent oxygen. That's not how this works. Mm -hmm. That's not how any of this works. And their shared love of the Constitution, uh, Ben and Josh's, allow them to not... Uh, ultimately agree in every uh, aspect so that they can continue to uphold the most, as Steve said, fundamental aspect. I mean, the founders didn't agree on the Constitution on, on every level. The first thing they did was what? They amended it. They put forth 10 amendments because they had a fundamental disagreement right away in terms of not what the fundamentals of freedom and liberty were, but how do we apply these in an imperfect world? And a group of folks called the Anti-Federalists like, you know, we think you know, we need a little bit, a few more specifics here. Should there one day arise a, a you know, a, a Pharaoh who knows not Joseph? And that's where the Bill of Rights came from. They gave us things like Article 5, Convention of States Power, con Constitutional Conventional Power, uh, Amendment uh, process power for us to iron out these differences of how do we deploy absolute truth in a in a in a shades of gray world in a fallen world how do we do that and i think for too long on the conservative side we have sought we have we have done loyalty tests yep as opposed to truth tests yes yeah i it, uh, that's what i brought up uh, during the uh, during the break is you know, you talk about not being allowed to degree, uh, disagree. Let's talk about the conservative, the incestuous conservative legal community or frat. Let's just call it a frat. Um, I asked you to name one other lawyer in the conservative legal frat um, that is openly advocated, that has openly advocated to, uh, you know, resist or defy judicial tyranny. 
You named me one name off the top of your head. Yeah, it was one of the names Josh name. mentioned because I've read his work before, John Eastman. Yeah. One name. Yeah. Talk about not being allowed to disagree. Let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday, uh, where we take a look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism, or just culture and conservatism. But we tend to, because we talk on a broader cultural extent, uh, most days on the program during this segment each week, we have a tendency to focus in specifically more often on the pop culture side of things. Maybe a warning, stay away from, and then a recommendation, check this out, okay? So... Um, the Punisher season two is out right now on Netflix. And, and this is likely going to be the last Marvel, uh, Netflix series. They're all getting canceled. Uh, and, and, and I think a lot of it is because Disney is about to start its own comprehensive, uh, app, uh, service later this year. It's going to be a sad day. And I think they're going to reboot all of these within the next few years and put, uh, and, and, and redo them all. But um, I've been hesitant to check out The Punisher just because I have I, I just haven't had the time yet. I loved the first season; thought it was very well done. Uh, and and I looked at Rotten Tomatoes, and this could end up being the lowest rated season of any of these Marvel hero hero series on Netflix. So then I'm kind of like, well. You know, I got fifth. Maybe I'll check it out after college basketball season because, you know, there's games on three, four nights a week and I got to be a dad and a husband at some point, too. And then I read something Eric Erickson over at the Resurgent wrote yesterday about the plot line that essentially the Punisher is going after Christian mercenaries. Um, a, why would there ever be Christian mercenaries? Number one. Um, Todd, give me the hermeneutical, exegetical um, New Testament uh, interpretation for Christian mercenary work. Go. Thank you. So I'm not even sure. I don't, I'm out. I will not watch. And now I wouldn't watch if the Rotten Tomato score was 90%. The only reason I haven't watched is because the score was low. So I didn't, I thought I'll just maybe watch it later than the year when I have more free time. But now that I know the plot line and now that I know the plot line and see, let me give you a little hint. Okay. When, when you see, um, a movie like, um, um, the, uh, Paul apostle of Christ came out last year about this time. And it's a great movie. I'd highly recommend it. It's just not for everyone. It doesn't. It's it, it. It will not give you the feel good ending that uh, I can only imagine will. But it has a lot to say about thinking through as a believer in the midst of a pagan culture and tribalism and right and wrong and shape. It's it's a really smart movie. It also didn't have the greatest Rotten Tomato score because most of those reviewers are leftists, and they're not the target audience for it. So you have to understand, woke Punisher is the siren song of a website like Rotten Tomatoes, where the Punisher rises up to, to, to punish all you uh, Christian bigots. Do you know how bad that has to suck? Do you, do you realize how bad it must suck that it's not sitting at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes right now? That, 
that should tell you, like, whenever there's a whenever there's a rainbow jihad movie, take whatever its rot, Rotten Tomato score is, and and it's got it's it's got thirty points of handicap built in, where they just feel like they have to like it because it's their intersectionality, it's the top of their intersectionality pyramid scheme right now. Okay, so when you see a rainbow jihad movie and it's like lower than seventy percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and every every block lower than that know that it, it it for them not to this is this is my non-gendered specific being in whom i am well pleased for them to say it's bad they're rejecting their own propaganda so you know it's bad was hayden christensen in it <laughs> when woke punisher can barely get above the 50% line on rotten tomatoes that tells you right then and there it's really bad and not worth your time Okay, so you got to understand when it when it plays to the biases of a certain crowd and even that particular crowd's like. Hell no. <laughs> All right. Did Ryan Johnson direct it? What's that? Uh, did Ryan Johnson direct it? No, I'd like to continue come on now. Aaron's line of questioning. Come on now. <laughs> Old grudges die hard. So woke Punisher only being at 50 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Is that where it is? Is that the. Yes. 50. Really means it's like a 25, 30 percent. Because that it's getting the benefit of the Christians got to die, yo. It's got that. It's got the built-in bonus of killing Christ, Christians. Because there's no such thing as Christian mercenaries. So it's, it's got the built-in bonus of this. So the fact that Christian Christianity can be reduced to to mercenaryism, and then woke Punisher is putting us down in a haze of bullets, and it's still only fifty percent. Tells you right away that sucks. All right. But let me tell you, so stay away from that. And I don't have to watch to stay away from it. They just, they told me all I needed to know. All right. But let me tell you, I saw something over the weekend I would highly recommend. Now, this isn't going to be on my top 10 list at the end of the year. Okay. This isn't the passion. It's not Dr. Shivago. It's not Gone with the Wind. It's not The Empire Strikes Back or Return of the King. But you know what it is? It's a lot of fun. And it's a throwback. And the movie's called The Kid Who Would Be King. Think of a cross between Goonies Stranger Things, and Excalibur. Now, let me tell you a quick story about Excalibur. I only saw the basic cable version of Excalibur my whole life. And I watched it on, I loved the King Arthur legend. I I watched the basic cable version of Excalibur every time I saw it on when I was a kid. My senior year, AP English. Yeah. All right? I love this story. Our, have I told you this one before? So our, our teacher at Rogers High School, Mrs. Johnson, in AP English, we're, all, we're each invited to make suggestions of a great literary work and a great literary classic in the film adaptation of it. And I'm like, dude, I'm in. We're doing Excalibur, you know? And so now I can go rent this. I go, I go to the local uh, video rental place, go rent the video. I, I was not aware of what is in the theatrical cut. So... And now I was the kind of kid in high school that would have tried to pull a prank like this. So that's why no one believed in my innocence <laughs> because I had, I had a body of work that indicated I was capable of this level of skullduggery. All right. But I really didn't know. I had only seen the basic cable version about 10 minutes into that. I'm like, mom and dad, you lied to me for many years. There's like a health class happening in this movie. Okay, and so we're playing this movie in my in my senior AP English class, and Helen Mirren's doing things I didn't know she did in movies. Okay, <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't know it wasn't me. Okay, this actually happened. All right, 
Um, the best prank I ever pulled in high school, I didn't intend to pull. Okay, so what I mean by it, 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 I'm talking the basic cable version of Excalibur. That's what you reached meta status. That yes. you're just doing it because you exist. Yes, not the theatrical cut. And there's, in fact, there's not even any swearing in the movie. So when I say the Goonies, they don't, they don't even swear. That's actually one of the chivalric code that Merlin teaches them is they can't swear. So there's nothing suggestive. They even made Rebecca Ferguson unattractive. And I got to tell you. That's like, that is Academy Award winning makeup quality pulling that one off. What's that? Got one more uh, sponsor. Yes. Right. I, okay. Am I running late? Thank you. Okay. Just a little bit. Yeah. But I would highly recommend this. All right. It's a lot of fun. It, it teaches honor, virtue, et cetera. You know, the stuff that we're not supposed to teach kids anymore. And it's a lot of fun for all ages. The kid who would be king. Again, uh, go do that instead of woke punisher. All right. Final thoughts brought to you by our friends at uh, Home Title Lock. Don't end up losing your most valuable asset because even if your identity cannot be stolen because you have identity theft protection, a massive data breach can give them aspects of your identity where they could pretend to be you in other areas, like when they go to the county recorder site or assessor site and claim that they're you and take advantage of your most valuable asset and they take it away from you. That's the equity in your own home. It's just pennies a day from home. Title Lock will protect your home, your most valuable investment. And right now, if you're a Blaze family member, you can get a free title scan and report free. Uh, And it's normally a hundred dollar value. Just go to hometitlelock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Quickly, gentlemen, final thoughts. I feel like we're on the precipice. I, I feel like I, right now with Donald Trump and potentially defying the courts that I am whenever Iowa plays a team that has above average talent and skill where it's like, okay, I'm excited to see what happens. We're going we're gonna to write this out and then I'm d- inevitably disappointed. Sometimes though, no, though, you know, you keep watching and sometimes though, maybe you won't be. That's kind of what I feel like with Trump and uh, judicial supremacy. Oh, a little youthful enthusiasm yeah. for once from our from our millennial producer, Todd. Well, in judicial supremacy is the perfect idea that either we wrap our heads around the level of usurpation that's going on right now, or you can welcome in Kamala Harris or whoever's worse as your next president of the United States. When, at some point, we need a president or a governor to tell the courts to take a hike. And I could think of better times to do it than this one, but I can think of uh, the fact we're running out of time to do it at the exact same time. John 317. See you tomorrow. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.